Good. Good morning, y'all. How's everybody? Y'all hear me all right? Y'all feel like I'm shouting at you, do you? Well, my name's Dave. I'm one of the pastor elders here. Um, I feel like I need to start off with an apology because I'm not as talented as that worship team. How about that worship team this morning? I'm not as eloquent as Lee Webb getting up here. He's itching to preach, isn't he? You could tell. He's about ready to start rolling. And I don't have the super smooth voice of Josh Ballard. So y'all are stuck with me. So you guys good today? Everybody enjoying the Advent season? We're going to talk today. We lit the peace candle. We're going to talk today about the peace of God. And I'm excited about what God has to say. But before we do that, I want to make a, a quick announcement about something that's near and dear to my heart, as, as most of you know, which is the CCC Honduras trip for the summer of 2019. So the trip dates, if you want to write this down or put it in your phone, are going to be June 9th to the 16th. We're almost always the second week of June. It's a Sunday to Sunday. If you have any questions at all about that trip, if you feel any kind of unsettledness or feel like it might be your time to go and be with us, then the first informational meeting for that is Wednesday, January 16th at 7 o'clock here at the church. Wednesday the 16th at 7. And obviously we'll probably announce that a couple more times between now and then, but I, want, I know how calendars are and I know how mine is, so I wanted to go ahead and put that out there. So, last week, I'm going to go ahead and start my clock. I didn't count that Katie Gaither on my time. But last week, Blake talked about hope. As we celebrate Advent and the coming of Jesus, Blake talked about hope. He talked about how Christ came to give us hope and how his hope can heal us. Amen. That's an encouraging message. Now, you might think, well, I'm speaking, or I might think, or I did think, well, when you're speaking about Advent and peace, it's just going to be a warm, fuzzy kind of message, right? Just a Christmas message, you know, all good, easy. Well, of course, I get into the prep. And God just starts challenging, changing, convicting, and working on me. And it may not be as warm fuzzy as I anticipated it being. We talk about Jesus and how he comes to bring peace and comfort this week. The Ballards read the primary scripture, Isaiah 40, 1 through 11. I don't know about you guys, but I want peace so badly. Do you guys want peace? Doesn't that word peace, it just sounds so good, right? It's just soothing, but it's really elusive, isn't it? It's hard to get. And it's hard to keep in a real way. I come home at the end of the day, probably a lot like you guys. I've got four kids at home. And I mean, most of the time, it is just pure chaos. Chaos. And sometimes I'm great with it. Like sometimes I want to bring the energy and I just jump right in. But other times it just puts me in a tizzy. I can't eat. I don't even know what to do. I can't even deal. Anybody else feel, am I, am I alone in that? You ever come home and there's no peace and you're just, I know Lee Webb is, just in a tizzy. I just want some peace. Now my wife, one of our phrases in our house is comfy cozy. We say it all the time. I say it to June every night before bed, get comfy cozy. My wife loves comfort. She just got one of these weighted blankets. I got it for her. You guys heard of these? It's 15 pounds. This thing weighs 15 pounds. And she lays under it, and I'm telling you, the joy on her face when she's under that blanket, I just want a little taste of that joy. Because I put it on, I feel like I'm in a prison. Like, I can't get out of that thing. But 
We love peace. We crave peace, don't we? We crave comfort. But that's not the kind of comfort that we're talking about in Isaiah. We're talking about real peace, right? Real comfort for that unsettledness that we have. That's the kind that only Jesus can give. Amen? That's what we're going to focus on today. And what I'm going to come to you with is there's a tension here. This is, again, this isn't just a warm, fuzzy message about peace. There's a cost to peace. It requires something of us. The cost of peace is repentance, and we're going to talk about that. We have to turn from sin. We have to clear the way, like Isaiah talked about, prophesied about, so that Jesus can come and bring his peace. That's what we're going to talk about. Get these pages straight. Living in Christ, peace and comfort require us to encounter him and his word through the Holy Spirit and to answer the call to repent and turn from sin. Then and only then can we know and stay in his peace that we crave so badly. I went to a small college in Pennsylvania and I was in a little fraternity. It's called Epsilon Pi. And they, fraternities do these silly rituals where they just beat these things into your head. Well, one of the things that I still remember and I graduated college in 1997, okay, so this is how long ago this was, are the three Ps, pride, prestige, and principle. I still remember that 20 years later, and I know how hard it is for me when I come to church to take anything away from me and remember it because I have the attention span of a small child most of the time. So when I was going through and talking about peace, I came up with the four Ps of peace, the power behind peace. The power behind peace is the word of God. The word of God. Jesus himself is the power behind peace. We're going to talk about that in 40 verse 8. The price of peace. I already alluded to it. The price of peace in our lives is repentance. We have to turn from sin to have peace. The perpetuation of peace, keeping it, requires us to trust God and not to trust things that fade away. And then the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace is Jesus again. Is he the Prince of Peace in our lives? Is he the Prince of Peace that resolves our eternal conflict, that resolves our relational conflict, and that resolves our internal conflict that we have? So that's what we're going to talk about. Sound good? Okay, let's pray. God, thank you so much for the opportunity we don't take for granted that your presence is here with us. Thank you for the promise of peace. Thank you for coming to save and rescue us from the turmoil that we find ourselves in with our sin. Lord, we just invite you into this place. We welcome your presence. We want to, we need to hear from you today. Just challenge and change our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. J.H. Bomberger said possibly no Bible chapter has exerted a greater influence on the world's leaders than Isaiah 40. Handel begins his Messiah with comfort ye. Luther poured over it in the castle at Salzburg. John Brown read it in prison at Harper's Ferry. Oliver Cromwell went to it for help in the time of storm. Daniel Webster read it again and again when he was crushed and broken in spirit. Tennyson called it one of the five great classics in the Old Testament record. So in other words, I'm extremely underqualified <laughs> to preach about this chapter. Okay, but let's get into it. It's prophetic. It 
foretells John the Baptist and Jesus, but I think it has some real truths that we can walk out of here today. Isaiah 41 through 11, the Ballard's read it. We're going to go through it again quickly. Verse 1, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Tell her that her sad days are gone and her sins are pardoned. Yes, the Lord has punished her twice over for all her sins. Listen, it's the voice of someone shouting, clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord. Make a straight highway through the wasteland for our God. Fill in the valleys and level the mountains and hills. Straighten the curves and smooth out the rough places. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together. The Lord has spoken. A voice said, shout. I asked, what should I shout? Shout that people are like the grass. Their beauty fades as quickly as the flowers in a field. The grass withers and the flowers fade beneath the breath of the Lord. And so it is with people. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. I'm going to read verse 8 again. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. O Zion, messenger of good news, shout from the mountaintop. Shout it louder, O Jerusalem. Shout and do not be afraid. Tell the towns of Judah, your God is coming. Yes, the sovereign Lord is coming in power. He will rule with a powerful arm. See, he brings his reward with him as he comes. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will carry the lambs in his arms, holding them close to his heart. He will gently lead the mother sheep with their young. Let's put this in context a little bit. The majority of the prophetic passages in Isaiah have a dual nature or a dual meaning. Israel was God's chosen servant. We see that throughout the Old Testament, but what we also see is that Israel failed time and time again to be the servant that God called them to be. Does that sound familiar? You ever feel like you fail over and over to be the servant that God's calling you to be? I do. And so what we also see in Isaiah is the other meaning the pointing to and attributing to Jesus as being God's chosen servant who would be the perfect fulfillment of everything that God intended. Isaiah 40 comes on the heels of the promise of the Lord at the end of 39 that Israel would be going into exile once again in Babylon. This was devastating news to Israel. They were being exiled again. They were remaining out of the presence of God and captive to Babylon. It's difficult to imagine the kind of peace and comfort that Isaiah is talking about in this chapter in the circumstances they were in. Again, I think that directly translates to some of us, doesn't it? Sometimes it's difficult to even imagine the peace and comfort of God when we're going through something, right? So their exile was imminent. Isaiah 40 is the voice crying out that there will be peace. It was a prophecy and encouragement, but not yet. The focus in verse 8 is on the word of the Lord, both spoken because the voice was crying out and written. Now, of course, we can't read or preach the passage without connecting it to John the Baptist and Jesus in the New Testament because Isaiah in this chapter and others was prophesying about John the Baptist, preparing the way for Jesus' coming many, many years later. All four Gospels use this voice crying out phrase, for John the Baptist and point to the coming of Christ. I won't read all these scriptures. They're going to go up and we're going to go through them. Matthew 3.3. 3. 
All of these scriptures either quote this passage in Isaiah or use the exact same language to foretell the coming of Christ. Isaiah is referring to John the Baptist shouting in the wilderness as the precursor to Jesus, who is the word of God. The Greek word for word is logos. Okay, it's the same word in Isaiah as it is for Jesus in John 1.1. He is the word of God in the flesh come to rescue us. So the signal coming from Isaiah is that Jesus is coming and the perfect peace and comfort that he brings is only possible through him as the word of God. Whew, take a deep breath. It's, there's a lot there, right? So we're going to drill down into it. What does this mean for us to stand on Jesus, the Logos, the Word of God, as our foundation for peace? There's no other way to do it. You guys with me? All right, so the first P of God's peace, the power behind the peace. Jesus himself is the Word of God. There's a fancy Latin phrase in the legal world called the sin qua non. It means without which not. Jesus is the without which not of peace. If you don't have Jesus, you know, their bumper stickers are bumper stickers for a reason, right? You guys remember that cheesy bumper? St I, I shouldn't call it cheesy. That's, I shouldn't pass judgment on it. Remember that bumper sticker? No Jesus, no peace. No Jesus, K-N-O-W, no peace. Right? I always say that cliches are cliches for a reason because they're usually true. Well, bumper stickers are bumper stickers for a reason because it's true, right? So there's some bumper sticker truth for you. No Jesus, no peace. He is the without which not of peace. It cannot happen without him. Back to verse 8. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. So the question is, are we standing on Jesus as the word of God? Are we encountering it and being led by the Holy Spirit? That is the foundation that anchors us to peace. So if we're looking for peace, there's no, if we're looking for lasting peace that redirects us, there is no other way than to stand on the, the unwavering foundation of Jesus as the word of God. I'm going to put a picture up here. This, most of you know, I already mentioned Honduras. This is a picture of a ukulele that we hand make in Honduras. Well, right now, we have four or five of our Bordos village boys who have actually been sent out as missionaries to India. They're in India right now. So first of all, what an amazing testimony to God to see him raise up these young men and send them elsewhere to take the gospel. To where but, so right now, our Bordos boys are in India teaching others how to make ukuleles and more importantly, to connect with people, to disciple them into relationship with Christ. So this is a picture of a ukulele that's in progress and you'll see a sticker in there. Do you guys see that sticker? That's the Sparrow Missions logo and it has a phrase on there that says, not one is forgotten. It's taken from Luke 12, 6. It's Sparrow's mantra. But you can barely read it, even as you look at that. Do you see that? So I was talking with a buddy of mine this week, Justin Ross, who came and spoke here. One of the, guy, one of the Indian guys that our Bordos kids were working with was working on the ukuleles. They speak English. Understand this. He has no concept of God. It's primarily Hindu and Muslim. No concept of God or Jesus. He reads that phrase behind the strings in that ukulele. 
and something happens. He was stirred up all day. He had no idea why it was wrestling within him. The word of God was piercing his heart and he didn't even know why. So he went to Chris, our director, who's over there with the Bordos boys. Chris gets to lay out the gospel to this man. And God's supernatural work starts. So what's the point of that? We, we undervalue the overwhelming power of the word of God. Amen? It is supernatural. Do you believe that? It does supernatural change on its own. It is the word of God. We have to stop trying to say the right things to people or waiting for the perfect moment. Just put the word of God out there and see what happens. This man had no concept of God, read this behind the strings, and he couldn't rest. He was unsettled. He craves that peace just like the rest of us. But he had no idea where it was coming from, but he couldn't rest without it. The word of God's presence is engaging. Just give it to people. Let them hear it. Let them taste it. The real godly truth. It's supernatural and it's powered by the Holy Spirit. So when the word of God gets put out there, the Holy Spirit starts working, doesn't he? He starts working to resolve that internal conflict that we have. Again, the word, the logos is Jesus. A third of the world is waiting to hear that word. There are people all around us that are just waiting to hear the supernatural word of God. That is the without which not of peace. Without that, there is no peace. It's not possible. You can't come up with the perfect phrase to give somebody peace. God's already written it. It's in the word of God, and you never know how it's going to connect and what it's going to draw people to. So that's the first P. The power of peace is the word of God. Next, the price of peace, I talked about it, is repentance. The message in Isaiah 40 is one of comfort, but it also carries with it the implicit call to repent. All these phrases about clearing the way, straightening the curve, smoothing the rough places in verses 3 through 5. This is a call by Isaiah, and we all are familiar with the call of John the Baptist. John the Baptist's primary message and function was to call everyone to repent, prepare for the coming Savior. Okay, so there's an action element here for us. Peace comes with a cost. If we think we can just keep doing what we're doing, whether we're mired in sin or whatever else is holding us, there's a cost to peace. We can't just have the peace Christ is promising and not repent and turn and realign ourselves with the gospel. Amen? So back to the scripture, Israel's in a place of wilderness, desert, and exile. The people are there because of their sin. Who's ever felt like that? Exiled and alone because of your sin, not knowing a way out. Everybody felt that? Anybody know anybody who's in that place right now? Israel has been and will be captured, exiled, and scattered by the Babylonians. They were wondering if they will ever see the faithfulness of God again. Who's gone through that? Who has been so lost, burdened, shackled by sin that you've actually thought to yourself, who will admit that? That we've thought, will I ever see the faithfulness of God again? I am in the desert. There is no life. There is no peace. There's nothing here. Fortunately, there's Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. Amen. 
Are you brokenhearted today? The Lord is close to you. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. Be encouraged. For those of us who either are or have experienced that brokenheartedness, being crushed, that exile, that feeling of loneliness or being a slave to sin, be encouraged. God is close to you and he is longing to rescue us. He is calling to us. So at the lowest of lows for Israel, God sends the prophet to announce to them that in the most wild, dangerous place that there's peace and comfort coming, that they will soon see God for themselves. God is going to reveal himself to them. So this reminds us that the good news is not just about God. It is God. The good news is Jesus. It's God himself revealing himself to us. But again, there is a call to action. So our question is this on the second P, the price of peace. What is God calling us to clear out? How are we being called to clear the way, to straighten the curves, to smooth the rough places so that Jesus can come with his peace? There's an action element. There's a price to the peace. You guys with me? I told you it wasn't warm and fuzzy. But it's good stuff though, right? I mean, it kicks me right in the gut. We want the peace so bad. But we can't skip the power. Jesus is the key to it. We have to pay the price. We can't just keep doing what we're doing and being slaves and expect the peace. We have to clear the way by repenting. Can you feel the tension there? It's not just, I have this peace once and for all and there's nothing else I have to do in that voice, that peaceful voice, right? Are we ready to do that? Are we ready first to encounter God and his power through Jesus and his word to repent and then to experience his peace and comfort? Next, the perpetuation of peace. So how do we keep it? Are we committed to constantly giving up control and trusting God in our own lives and to going to those who are broken or crushed like we saw in the psalm, and proclaiming the truth of the gospel to them. That is how we perpetuate peace. Now, most of us in this room are in one of two spots, or we have been. We're either in the lowest of lows like Israel was. Some of us are right there. No peace, no idea where to turn, feeling exiled or shackled by sin. Some of us have experienced that and are in God's peace and hopefully we're reflecting and proclaiming it to others. But guess what? It's not a once and for all thing. You don't just get the peace and then you're good. It requires something of us. It doesn't just happen. There's always a battle and war going on, right? There's always a battle for our peace. There's always a conflict between the peace that Jesus has for us that's based on him that requires us to repent when we sin. We're not going to be perfect, but we've got to turn if we want the peace. And the enemy trying to pull us back in, right? He wants to pull us into that turmoil, doesn't he? With busyness, circumstances, the things the world promises us. He wants us, once we get that peace from Jesus, once we experience it, he wants us to take the, he wants us to take the control back, right? You think, well, I've got this now. I'm going to take the control back. I've got the right plan. I know how to get that peace. Here's my peace checklist. I can get there. 
He wants us to take the control back, doesn't he? That's how Satan tries to snare us. He's always trying to pull us away. But we have to stay on that foundation of the word of God, of Jesus, that never moves, that stands forever, that anchors us to the peace. So who are we trusting? If we're in that low place, are we trusting our own plan? Are we trusting our comfort, our wealth, our job, our family? Who are we trusting to try to get that peace? And if it's anything other than Jesus as the word of God, it ain't going to work. When, you, when we feel ourselves trying to take that control back, don't you feel the peace leaving? <laughs> the harder you try, the peace just goes, doesn't it? But when you let go, when you let him keep control as the word of God, that's where the peace is. That's how we maintain it. That's how we bring people into it. This isn't about them and where they are in the lows or what we can say or do for them. This is about them encountering Jesus as the word of God and giving him control. And that's what it stays about for us. Amen? Okay, so we're coming down the stretch here. Finally, the Prince of Peace. Is Jesus the Prince of Peace in our lives? First of all, Jesus resolves our eternal conflict. The truth of the peace of salvation. Ephesians 2, 13 through 18. I'm going to start at verse 14. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. Skipping down together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross and our hostility to one another is put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far from him and peace to the Jews who were near now. All of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. Praise God for that. So Jesus, as the Prince of Peace, resolves our eternal conflict. We are no longer at war with God. Okay, that's the big picture point. So if you're here today and you have not surrendered to Jesus, then the reason you have conflict is because you're at war with God. You've got to allow Jesus to reconcile that conflict and bring you peace in an eternal sense. Right? And if you're in that spot, we've got pastor elders and lots of people here that would love to pray with you about that and talk with you about resolving that eternal conflict that's going on with you. Next, relational conflict. Is Jesus the Prince of Peace in our relationships? Lack of peace in our lives, in our homes, in our workplaces is the result of a lack of the presence of Jesus in those places. Due to selfishness, poor communication, our fallen nature, Christ's presence in those relationships helps to resolve conflict. Amen? Ephesians 4, 31, 32 says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Colossians 3.13 Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. That's a pretty hard one to get around. Isn't it? It's so simple. What are we holding on to in these conflicts that is keeping us from, experience the prince, from experiencing the Prince of Peace? Why do we think we have a right to hold on to it? The Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Are we taking control 
or are we trusting him as the word of God with that conflict, with that lack of peace, with that turmoil in our relationships? Lastly, peace in our internal conflict, in our relationship with ourselves. God creates us with a specific plan, an order to our lives. Only his will, that plan, will give us peace. It's like searching for the long lost treasure that's talked about in Jeremiah 29. Unless we're seeking what God has for us, we will live a life of turmoil. Unless we surrender our internal conflicts and desires to Jesus as the Prince of Peace, we will always be in turmoil. I talked with Bobby Carnes this week. He's preaching over at Midland this morning. And he described it as drinking from an empty well. I like that. If we're not surrendering to him as our Prince of Peace in our internal conflict, then it's like we're drinking from an empty well. We're never going to be satisfied, fulfilled. We're never going to have that peace without that. Ephesians 2.10, talking about God's plan. This is one of my favorite verses. I've spoken and prayed it over my kids multiple times. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Do you think your plan is better than that? I want that plan. (laughs) But I can't get it if I don't do these other things. If I don't surrender to him as the Prince of Peace. If I don't encounter him as the word of God. If I don't repent when I make mistakes. I can't get that plan. But my plan's not going to be as good. It's going to be unsettled. Full of turmoil. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. And thank him for all he has done, like Eric talked about a few weeks ago. Even if it's not going how you want, thank him anyway for all he's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. It's continuing. So if we're not living in and engaging with Jesus as the word of God then are our hearts and minds going to continue to be guarded? Go ahead. No. It is continuing. As we live in Christ Jesus and encounter him, then his peace will guard our hearts and minds. If we trust and walk in these truths, then even in the broken and low times, we can experience the peace that God wants and has for us long term. I'm going to close with this. I found a great devotional this week. I'm just going to read it. It's called The Cost of Comfort by John D. Barry. You all comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak to the heart of Jerusalem and call to her that her compulsory labor is fulfilled, that her sin is paid for, and that she is received from the hand of God double for all her sins. That's Isaiah 41 and 2. God directed this command at the prophet and a group of people, possibly all those remaining in Israel. They were to speak comfort to the exiled Israelites to call them home again. Sometimes we feel the need for this kind of comfort. Like the prodigal son in the pigsty, we feel exiled and alone. We have paid our sentence and we want to go home. We're not even asking for joy, just comfort. Despite their sins, God responded to the Israelites, but God did not merely restore them to their former state. He sent the suffering servant, 
prophesied later in Isaiah to die on behalf of his people, to pay for the sins that resulted in their exile in the first place. God does this so all our sins, past, present, and future, might be paid once and for all. But God requires much of those to whom much has been given, which is all of us. The great news of the suffering servant, Jesus, is not only that we find comfort and peace in him, but also that we are empowered to act free from sin. As Jesus' disciples, we must live the way he has called us to live, being willing to make the sacrifices that discipleship requires. The grace we receive from God is free, but a great price was paid for it. We must live fully in it. We must embrace it with our entire being. For when we do, we become not just a comforted people, but a restored people, instruments of God's work in the world. So what is God calling you to sacrifice? How can you take joy in the peace and comfort he has brought you and then show others that joy? So what does all this mean for us as we close? As Christmas approaches and as we celebrate the coming of Christ together, are we going to be satisfied with just the peace in our homes that I want or the weighted blanket that my wife wants? Are we going to be satisfied with that? Or do we want more? Do we want to encounter Jesus as the word of God, as the power behind peace? Do we want to clear the way and pay the price of peace by repenting? of sins that are snaring us? Do we want to give up? Are we able to give up control and trust God and go to those who are lost and broken to perpetuate his peace? And then finally, are we willing to surrender to him as the Prince of Peace in all the areas of our lives? So I just ask you this, as John Barry asked, what is God calling us to sacrifice today? How can we take joy in the peace and comfort he has brought us and then show it to others? Let's clear the way together. If you're here this morning and you're snared by sin, don't walk out of here without talking with, praying to somebody about repenting and being free from that. If you've never experienced or encountered Jesus as the word of God, talk to somebody, ask them about that today. But let's clear the way together so that, as Isaiah put it, the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And we'll see. Do you guys want to see that glory? <laughs> I do. Let's pray. God, thanks so much for your truth. Lord, thank you for the challenge, God. Thank you for the gift of grace and peace that you promise us. Lord, we pray that you would give us the courage, the resolve to clear the way. Lord, if we're snared in sin, give us the courage to repent of that sin. God, if there are folks here that have never encountered you as the living word of God, Jesus, just call them today. Holy Spirit, we ask you to unsettle people who have never experienced you. God, if we're not doing and living our lives in a way that will perpetuate your peace, help us to trust you, to give up control and to trust you. And finally, God, we just want to surrender to you as the Prince of Peace in our lives. Show us what that looks like for each of us, God. But don't let us walk out of here without being challenged and changed, God. Help us to go to those who are broken, who are in the lowest of the low, and speak that encouragement to them that you're with them, that you want to rescue them, and give them that peace that can only come from you. God, we just thank you 
for the great cost that Jesus paid to make this peace and this redemption possible for us. We don't take it for granted. And Lord, we accept the charge that comes with that. Help us to pursue you more, to love you, and to love others better as we seek to, to abide in that perfect peace that you give. It's in Jesus' name we ask.